phone call very often. Um, and so, uh, so uh, I heard about uh, Bishop Gary Nelson, um, who is the bishop of uh, Northwestern Australia, through uh, my friend. And he said, is there a way? He's a, he's a wonderful brother in the Lord, very gospel-centered, uh, and, and very much uh, loves to come and, and encourage congregations that are seeking to share the forgiving love of Christ with those that they live, work, play, and learn with. And so, um, so I picked up uh, Gary in uh, McClellanville um, on a Friday, and since then he's been meeting with some leaders, meeting with some staff, and we're so blessed to have you, Gary, come and preach for us this day. Um, it's our honor to have you. It's our joy to, to have you. Um, Gary's diocese is about the size of Alaska, um, so, and, uh, and it's a very transient population. I'm sure he will tell you more about it, but we are so blessed to have you here. Thank you for coming and sharing the gospel with us. Before you, you begin, would it be okay if we pray for you? Sure. Okay. That's right. They want to be able to hear you. That's right. <laughs> well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for our brother Gary. I pray that you would fill him with your spirit, give him all, all boldness and confidence as he speaks the good news of your son's salvation. We ask all this in Christ. Amen. Amen. <laughs> The mission, you get <laughs> um, I'm not used to sort of having such um, a positive welcomes, Hamilton. <laughs> Most people think that a bishop comes, it's, oh no, <laughs> what have I done wrong? <laughs> but it is lovely to be here with you today and uh, to enjoy some uh, Southern Carolina hospitality. Um, and um, so far, really enjoying visiting here. I've never been down this part. The furthest I've come is sort of North Carolina, which I've been to a number of times, and I've uh, been in other states, but never to South Carolina. The first time I, um, my wife and I encountered someone from South Carolina was after we'd uh, landed in Papua New Guinea. We'd gone there as missionaries with Wycliffe Bible translators, and we'd had a little bit of trouble uh, because people wanted to bribe others and get us off the plane and and uh, we landed in this place and there was no one that spoke English and had to try and drag the pilot to get our luggage back on and things like that. When we eventually got to where we were going, where the mission was picking us up from, we had this fellow come who was from South Carolina. It took me two years to understand what he said. <laughs> And my wife and I wondered, what have we left ourselves in for? Uh, not only uh, up in the, the remote place we first lived in, but now in the missionary society, we can't even understand someone who looks the same as us. <laughs> um, but we, we got to know them very well, and, uh, and I, I was teaching their, their children as well. But uh, that was my first encounter with someone from South Carolina, and it was really the first time we'd actually ever met Americans en masse as well. So that was a sort of a steep learning curve as we uh, heard accents from many, many places and trying to grips with different customs and uh, different ways of doing things. And so we've come to uh, really love and appreciate our American brothers and sisters and feel very much at uh, home um, amongst you. But friends, today we're sort of going to consider another first-time encounter. It occurred on a journey led by a man named Saul. 
He departed from his Jerusalem home, travelling north to Damascus in what we call Syria these days. And he wasn't expecting any surprises. He wasn't expecting to encounter someone he couldn't understand. Um, and he wasn't expecting he wouldn't reach his destination and so accomplish everything he wanted to and achieve all his goals. But on Saul's horsepower journey, the unexpected happens because he encounters the Lord Jesus. And as a result, Saul's life is amazingly turned around. And uh, was it Robert that just read to us? Robert? Yes, thank you. Robert just read us the story from uh, Acts 9 where Dr. Luke has recorded it so that we can all appreciate it. Let me just remind you again about the setting for the journey. Uh, Acts 9 1 says, But Saul, Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. It really is an amazing and dramatic opening to a chapter, isn't it? If you were opening your book and suddenly found these words, a whole range of questions would happen. Um, you know, who's this character by the name of Saul? And why has he got such an intent to harm Christians? What's going on here? Well, if we'd have been reading through the whole book, then we would have met Saul a little bit earlier. Dr. Luke introduces us to him back in chapter 7 when Stephen, uh, one of the early Christians, is martyred for his faith. And though Saul isn't actually throwing the stones that killed Stephen, he's complicit in his murder. And Dr. Luke makes that very clear in chapter 8, verse 1, where he writes, And Saul approved of his, that is Stephen's, execution. A bit like some of the um, uh, commercials I've seen on TV for elections and, and the bottom line comes in and I, Joe Solomon, or whatever his name is, have approved of this advertising. <laughs> well, here, Saul is approving of someone's murder. But what flows out of that is what's really terrifying, as Luke records, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem and they were all scattered. Persecution leads to Christians fleeing their homes, fleeing their livelihoods. And of course, that is a scene we're not unfamiliar with, even today. But Saul is someone who's actively involved in this persecution. In 8 verse 3 we read, Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women, committing them into prison. That's who Saul is. But why is he so opposed to Christians? Well, basically because he regards Christianity as a threat to his Jewish religion. And hence the God he serves. See, Saul was brought up as a Pharisee. He went to the best school in town. He had a, a wonderful upbringing as a Pharisee. He was expected to be the new leadership. And so he was a strict follower of the law of God as they saw it from the Old Testament. And so he's passionately committed to the belief in one God. As the Shema from Deuteronomy says, the Lord our God is one. And Saul would have said that very regularly. So it's no wonder that 
um, Saul just can't sort of like stand back when fellow Jews are worshipping this man Jesus as if he's God. For Saul, it's the height of blasphemy. It must be stopped. It deserves the punishment of death. But of course, Saul's not content just to get rid of these people in Jerusalem. For we read in chapter 9, he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, that was sort of a, sort of a shorthand uh, means of describing Christians, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So Saul, proud and self-assured, sets out on a 217-kilometre road trip north. Sorry, I forgot to do the miles conversion. You'll have to do that. Spurred on by what he sees as the justice of his task. Along, of course, with the high priest's encouragement. Yet the scene of confidence comes to a surprising and abrupt end. We read in verse 3, as he approached Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul now encounters someone who turns his world upside down. For he meets the risen, exalted, ascended Lord Jesus Christ. The one he viewed as an enemy of his faith. Here again how the conversation proceeds. Verse 5. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. Whom you are persecuting. See, Saul's old certainties are now radically and completely blown apart. You can imagine him thinking, how could I have been so wrong? The very Christians I've been persecuting are in the right. And I've been caught in a disastrous error. You see, Saul's view of himself was so perverse. He'd seen him as the champion of orthodoxy. Fighting for God's good cause. But in reality, he was the heretic. Saul suddenly and convincingly stopped in his tracks. It's an astonishing turn of events. The proud man who's at the top of his game is now reduced abject humility, blind and fallen in the dust, even requiring someone to lead him by the hand into Damascus. Saul's journey north with all its plans and expectations is radically altered and he is never the same again. What a flood of relief Saul must have felt as he hears Jesus saying these comforting words in verse 6. Now rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what to do. I imagine he was probably thinking he was going to be left there in the dirt. I mean, if I'd been Jesus, that's what I would have done. I would have left him in the dirt. But Jesus is a bit more gracious than me. There's a well-known hymn, of course, that sums up Saul's along with the composer's experience of undeserved mercy. Recall how John Newton pens 
amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. And Saul experiences this both spiritually and, of course, literally, as he's led into the city as a blind person. So let's just step back from those events for a moment and reflect on what Luke is saying to us. Firstly, I think as we encounter this scene, what, what we find is that becoming a follower of Jesus is possible. See, Saul's encounter with Jesus leads to his conversion. It's the significant moment that changes Saul's life forever when he becomes a true believer. In Australia, often when people talk about true believers, they mean believers in political sense. But here, Paul has become, Saul has become a true believer in Jesus, the one king. He's become a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ. It's an incredible situation that Luke narrates for his readers. It's so vivid, yet so confronting. It hardly seems conceivable that this man, Saul, full of hate for Christians, is converted. But it occurs in real time. It's a historical fact. Friends, this encounter with Jesus declares that conversion, becoming a follower of Jesus, is possible for anyone. Even you and me. You see, if the committed Pharisee Saul, the persecutor of Christians, the man who approved Stephen's death, the one prepared to reach beyond his comfort zone in order to capture those who worshipped Jesus as God, if this man can be changed, if this man can be converted to Jesus Christ, then there's hope the person that you've stopped asking to come to church. There's hope for the friend, the family member, who seems such a long way from anything Christian that you've given up on. See, Saul's encounter highlights how conversion is God's work from beginning to end. And we need to be encouraged by that. And to keep praying to that God that he would have mercy on our friends, on our family, on the community that we live and I've forgotten the rest of it, live, live, work and play amongst. That God would have mercy and draw people to himself so that they might have life. See, if the man that believers and friends would have voted the least likely to ever become a Christian, if he has become a Christian, then it can happen to you. That's why it's so dangerous to come to church. There should be a warning sign out there. Not the welcome sign, but the warning sign. Beware! Because when you come to church, you're exposed to the powerful word of Jesus as the Bible is read and taught. And it's the same Jesus who spoke to Saul on the road to Damascus and changed his life forever, that speaks to us today. Friends, the Bible will always challenge us 
always assess our life in the light of Jesus, calling for repentance and faith in him. But secondly, becoming a follower of Jesus is personal. See, we do not encounter an idea or a philosophy, but rather the person of Jesus, the one who speaks to us as persons. So becoming a Christian isn't about a commitment to some ecclesiastical tradition, nor is it simply an acceptance of a certain statement of beliefs. Nor is it the wonder of a one-off heartwarming experience. No, it's all about meeting the living Lord Jesus. The one who took his sins upon himself on the cross. The one who died in our place. Experiencing God's wrath fully and completely upon himself. In order that we wouldn't have. It's this Jesus who offers through his death and resurrection forgiveness where the slate is wiped clean. Not like, you know, whiteboards where no matter how much spray you put on, you can never quite get it all clean. But in the forgiveness that God offers, it sparkles. And in his death and resurrection, he unites us to the one true God and grants us eternal life within God's forever family. What a blessing. So becoming a follower of Jesus is both possible and personal. Well, let's go back to what was happening in Acts 9. Because as Saul arrives in Damascus, he has yet another encounter. This time with a Jesus man, Ananias by name. An ordinary Christian who was asked to visit Saul. Let me read again what happens. Verse 11. The Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For uh, he's praying and he's seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Now, I reckon if I'd have been Ananias, I'd have been a bit reluctant as well, right? See what Ananias says? Lord, Lord I, look, I've heard about this man and, and, and how much evil he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on his name. And you want me to go and see him? Lord, can I have plan B? Because Jesus reassures Ananias, and so he goes to Saul. What an opportunity for Ananias to obey his Lord. An opportunity to build up a new disciple and be blessed in the process. I imagine it might have been a spine-tingling experience for both men. As Ananias places his hands on Saul and says, Brother Saul. Incredibly dramatic, I think. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. See, those first words of Ananias are so emotionally charged. Brother Saul, this person responsible for Stephen's death, this person who's been hounding Christians, and now to be called 
brother. See, conversion is personal because we meet the personal Jesus dealing with us as persons. But conversion following Jesus also brings us into relationships with other persons, with fellow believers. Recall how Jesus regarded persecutions of Christians as persecution of himself. So similarly, to love Jesus is to love fellow Christians. That's why in the end, Ananias has no choice but to welcome Saul at the Lord's command. And so as Christians, we cannot hold back from our brothers and sisters in Christ. We can't keep one another at arm's length. Because as Christians, we're part of the same family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we need to know and to care for one another. Remember what Jesus said. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this will everyone know that you are my disciples if you have loved one another. And what's the result of Ananias' visit? Verse 18 tells us, immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. I was blind, but now I see. When he rose and was baptised, taking food, he was strengthened. So let's ponder again on what it means to us. See, We've seen how following Jesus, becoming a Christian, conversion is both possible for anyone and personal. But it's also pivotal. Though there are elements in the conversion of Saul that are particular to him, like seeing the risen Jesus, which links into his apostleship role, there's something that's the same for Saul and every other person who becomes a follower of Jesus. Because a true encounter with Jesus is a transforming experience. No one is ever the same again. So how do we know Saul's conversion is the real deal? By seeing the change that takes place in his life. Friends, it's not real because he saw a flashing light. It's not real because he heard a voice. It's not real because he had this amazing experience. Rather, it's real because there is an astonishing change in Saul's life. Encountering Jesus produces transformation. And so we read in verse 20, Immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. But Saul increased all the more in strength founded the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. Here's Saul, later known as Paul, preaching the very truths he found so offensive. Yes, he still believes God is one, but now he knows that God's oneness is complex. Three persons in one God, Father, Son and Spirit. And so we find Saul obeying the commission that God's already prepared for him. 
fulfilling the servant's role as prophesied back in Isaiah 49. And that's the content of verse 15 as God speaks to Ananias, isn't it? Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. And the next bit, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Saul preaches the gospel to Gentiles and Jews and everyone else <laughs> and keeps preaching for the rest of his life. He's a missionary for Jesus. Establishing churches, writing pastoral letters, encouraging Christians to mature in Christ. As well, he quickly experiences the persecution and suffering that he had inflicted on others as he has to flee Damascus and many other places along the way in his journey. Conversion is pivotal. Encountering Jesus changes everything. Our whole life is set on a new course. Paul highlights that over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where he says, And Christ died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. But friends, if our lives show no change, if they appear to be just like they always were, just like everyone else around us, then we must ask, are we truly converted? Are we truly followers of Jesus? Have we really encountered the living, reigning Lord Jesus? Friend Saul's encounter with Jesus changed his life forever. As the risen Lord Jesus stopped him in his tracks, the proud persecutor became the humbled believer. What a gracious God we have. So friends, have you encountered Jesus? Have you met the true and living Lord? That is the most important meeting you can have in your whole life. If you've scheduled out, then you need to rethink. If you're unsure of where you stand with Jesus, don't leave today without finding out. Hamilton will gladly talk to you, as I'm sure there are others here. But it is the most important thing. Make sure you know that you are saved for eternity. But if you are a follower of Jesus, how is it impacting your life? How is your life different from before? How is it different and distinctive from those around us? See, being a Christian has to change us if we know Jesus. It'll change us so that we'll uncompromisingly stand up for Jesus. 
that will be prepared to suffer for his name, that will be devoted to prayer, praying for opportunities daily to speak about Jesus, to use our resources for support of gospel ministry both locally and across the world. As we encounter Jesus, our personal and church lives will be continually impacted so that we may grow in the likeness of our Lord and mature in Jesus Christ. See, without this grounding in the gospel, the gospel that comes to us through the wonderful transforming word God has spoken in the Bible, without this gospel, we'd simply be a religious club offering people little hope or encouragement as they face the complexity and challenges of life. So as a church, as fellow Christians journeying together, let's make sure, let's make certain it's, the, it's a gospel-shaped journey that we're on. See, nothing else will be faithful to the Lord Jesus. Nothing else will lovingly serve our community offering real hope than a community centered in Christ and proclaiming His name. Friends, may God bless and keep us all in that journey in Christ. Let me pray.